We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. Poetry night. You are about to participate in a great adventure. That was a whole lot of poetry, and I think it's time. I think it's time we have a feature. Yeah. You all had your chance. Let's do it right. Are you ready? You've got candles lit. Yeah. Is that? It's a little. I would turn down the lights, but then Gary would get upset. The camera and all. The candles are lit. This is going to be a good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We need a bearskin rug, a fireplace, a dinner, some ribs. That just sounded romantic. Eating ribs. I don't know. Tofu ribs, whatever, fuck you guys. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Jody Knowles to our stage. Hi, guys. Hi, how's it going? So um, this community has had a big loss this year. Uh, Jack McCarthy passed in January. And um, I've always done a feature, and he's never missed a feature of mine And um, in the seven years that I've been performing. So that candle right over there is my friend Jack. So, uh, yeah, there we go. He would enjoy the bearskin rug, though. I'm sure he totally would. You know, the clitoris poem, the snooze poem. I know I'm not going to do it tonight, but anyways. <laughs> Read his shit. You can go online, standuppoetryguy.net. I'm no angel. In fact, I'm an ugly ass angel. Yeah, I don't wear white well. Tends to show off sweat stain. See, I'm too nervous to hover. I'm clumsy. Shows off my bones. Shows that I'm not put together well. See, I'm rusted, bent, and clumsy. When I'm told I'm an angel, I feel like pocket lint in the deep pointed corners of a pocket dugout because the one picking on me is curious, wants to hear my voice, wants to know what I sound like when I'm happy. These days, I don't like to make noises. I say too much. I scare away the doves. See, angels don't scare doves. They birth them from tear ducts. They cry freedom. And I have rivers running through me. The doves can't swim. I'm damned stolen. I spit fire when I breathe. I roar with a belly full of gasoline. I'm a windstorm dancing, picking up trash, blowing through seasons, and then rain. That's when the doves drown. See, angels wear no makeup. I paint my eyelashes to show I'm listening. Stained lips to cover up the men I've met. Powder rose cheeks for the hell of it. Get coughed up by cigarette smoke that help tend to hands that wonder confused. Yes, I get confused because angels speak in whispers and blinks. <laughs> I don't even 
understand this language. See, I run too fast for softness. I need burning buildings and garbage truck alarms to show me signs of God. Angels live in stillness. I live to find that shit. I sometimes headbang thoughts against my skull to change my mind because how I feel inside. It's got to be where the lost angels reside. The ones caught in snowstorms, frostbitten, broken wings. They're sitting against my vertebrae. They're singing to the doves I've killed. Thank you. So, Maya was talking about the Rain City Slam, and um, what she didn't mention was they do this really cool thing at the last week of the month called Liner Notes, and they pick an album, and they assign a song to each poet that has been assigned to this uh, the showcase, and uh, the next poem I'm going to do is called Us and Them, and I did it, what, like two, like a couple years ago, and the album was Pink Floyd, and so um, I got the Us and Them, which is an awesome song. So here's that. I woke with organ rhythm and saxophone hair. All melancholy drifting and sleepy thoughts of what could have been my country, my home, my life over there. See, I've never known where I belong. I'm always sleepy, sorrow thinking, drifting, dreaming of them over there, across the pond, my family, my roots, my nanny. So we left London to chase the American dollar ideal. We were all black and blue from class status, blue collar, thought this would be our way out, geographic. Had no idea this is what the fighting is all about. And if the dream wasn't so deep, seductive, tangible, I think it would have moved on with the London fog. But see, we're always chasing paradise off of our own doorsteps. It's the biggest lie we tell ourselves. Sacrifice families for ego's dream. It tells us all kinds of ridiculous things like class redemption. And there's no such thing. And I want to bring back my country, my roots, my nanny, Big Ben, England, Snapdragon, Flower Faces, Cotton Laundry Lines, Cottony Rhymes, Pub Crawls on Sundays, Marble Mouth so sharp and witty that will cut your fucking legs off. <laughs> but we left them. Wanted this illusion. Wanted to leave behind prison time. Salt lick knuckles, broken teeth, and hangovers. English hard knock communist, American dreamers, was it worth it? Because nothing, yet everything has changed. Even my accent. And when we immigrated, y'all didn't tell us, when you move, you gotta take you with you. That blue collar is a dog collar for dreamers. And you're yanked up, choked out, down and out, black and blue, drunk, broken ribs, construction sites. See, my pops painted American dream homes for 30 fucking years. Cute white picket fences with a flag outside while his sunk in a black hole in one night because of early bladder cancer retirement, bankruptcy at 60, hospital bills, debt, health insurance claims, no health insurance, no retirement now. Is this the dream you spoke about? 
Because we're down and out, black and blue, got the immigration stamped to our lungs, and we're gasping for a fucking break. The Union Jack cries for us. Once our fingerprints and pay stubs, our council house is empty, waiting for our bodies to return, and Big Ben standing, yelling, repack your bags, turn back my clock, swim in an ocean current with fish gill guts and hair, and run home. Run toward 154 Montrose Avenue, burnt oak, London, England, it's where I'm from. It's where I belonged. And I can still hear the ghost of my grandmother making tea in her grief, astounded at the choices to leave her. Her dream, like ours, capsized, amputated. She sobbed in her rocking chair for years. From the loss of her family, her roots, her paradise, me. All for this dream, this red, white, and black sinkhole, us, them over there across the pond. We're all just ordinary men. We had no choice but to leave and take a risk. But God only knows it's not what we would have chose to do again. Thank you. I love, I love writing prompts. You never know what the fuck's gonna come out of that. So, um, but this is a little disclaimer. I, I did a video back in January where I recorded that and, you know, it's pretty amazing the thing about poetry. It creates all kinds of dialogue. And, uh, my family, there's no artistic person in our family at all. I'm the black sheep in that area. And, uh, but my dad, he was really worried about the video going live and going on the internet and he seemed really okay with it when we were doing local regional performances but once it got on the internet he was really worried about what his friends were going to think over in England like he failed or something and um so he he just wants me to let you guys know he loves America <laughs> and he likes being here <laughs> he's like you make me sound like I fucking hate America I'm like no I don't <laughs> but anyways um I I wanted to invite my friend Ryler up uh for the Grand Slam in April uh I co collaborated with a friend Damon Arendelle and uh we mashed up all of Jack's old poems and did a tribute to Jack at the Grand Slam. And I wanted to share it with you guys. And Ryler's awesome. He's just, he just got the hard copy today. So I don't know what this is going to be like, but I'm excited. Are you excited? Okay. Yeah. Originally written by Jack McCarthy. <laughs> We're like, like an, an island, island of shipwreck survivors. survivors. Every night we gather around the fire and we, we tell, tell our, our stories. stories. And the more we tell our stories, the clearer it becomes. It isn't many stories we're telling. It's the, the story. story. Our pain is the dynamic compelling us together. And that's how God wants things to work. It hurts when love dies, when love is deep. It hurts deeply. More deeply, maybe, than you thought anything would ever hurt again. again. But with time, the spaces between the moments when it hurts get longer, the moments themselves become less, less devastating, devastating, till eventually you come to associate them with a sad sweetness. 
as it does with grief. Today I often cry when things turn out well. An unexpected act of simple human decency, new evidence against all odds of how much someone loves me. There, there, everything's going to be all right. And for that moment, you really believe that you can make enough of it right. Enough. enough. The unskilled labor of love. And that crying is not to be ashamed of. But for years, my great fear was the moment I might have to deal with a crying son. And when Joan went into labor, they said the baby would be born dead. But he wasn't. Very briefly, before he died, I heard him cry. The Iraqis, after all the hell they've been through, still at their weddings, fire assault weapons at the sky to celebrate something. Every child we bring into the world is just that kind of celebration, not of hope of invulnerability or immunity, perfection, no. Every child is a celebration of hope itself, an assault on heaven. Is my victory as simple as that? I am surrounded by people who love me. True, some of them a little crazy, but who else would love me? There's no rage in Not anymore. The, the years have been, been too kind. kind. Allow the light the right to die. This is like waking up from an unremembered afternoon dream of a race. Who won? It's irrelevant. The, the stands are emptying out, and I'm loping along alone on the track. Cooling down, breathing easily now, taking my own sweet time. This, this feels, feels like, like my, my victory, victory lap. We live in the golden age of the opinion. No knowledge. No education. No qualification. Just, Just give, give us, us your, your opinion, opinion like a judge in a poetry slam. I have always been in favor of blurring all the dividing lines. The word poetry is the only one big enough to include everything. everything. Soon, the only thing will be left, left will be... Poetry. poetry. And maybe that's how it was supposed to be. Till suddenly you stumble on the substance of your destiny and understand at last that all the pain you ever gave the slip was, was the, the pain, pain of not doing this. Exist. All those years, all those wretching mornings. All those dead-end jobs. The best you could say for them was... Marginally more interesting than daytime TV. <laughs> and you know what the worst thing was? Nobody ever believed how hard we tried. What, what keeps you going? What keeps you from blowing your brains out? Only the hope that maybe things will get better. We come to people who have been there. We come to each other and we try. And Mark Dotty said, I don't know what my feelings are until I find the words for them. Today I found the words to tell that story, and I unlocked some feelings that I never knew I had. You don't always get the chance at night to tell someone how much you like their stuff. When you see them three weeks later, you can't remember what it was you liked, and it defeats the purpose to say, You there! I really admire that unmemorable poem you did a few weeks ago, whatever your name is. <laughs> Audiences do not award any points for degree of difficulty. What we do is not a diving competition. It's a competition of the hearts and minds of live audiences, and the key to that hearts and minds is their attention. Without listening, I hear the soft damping of all sound that is itself a sound, and every snowflake was a promise, promise of, of peace, peace to come. come. It has come slowly. Peace does come slowly. But, but every, every promise has been cut. We watch others go through life, leaving bodies strewn behind, and wonder vaguely what our own, own trail looks like. Bless those brave enough to actually walk the back which track. They walk it for us all. 
Others will come. I acknowledge the pattern here, more the beauty of it, the stateliness. Most of us see the world as a spider web, all sorts of intricate connections, a good sense of direction, and we'll always find our way. Every time we love, we're saying, let it ride. We forgive you for getting old. We forgive you that your body has begun to resist the demands you make on it in our behalf. The time has come to rest upon your laurels. The canvas is painted now. There is no room for one more brushstroke. Let it ride. Time to sit back. And gaze upon what you have made. And what's on the table is the rent money. And every time we stride again out into the crisp desert night. Our fish shoved deep into pockets. We know ourselves for losers. But But Jesus, what brave losers we are. What brave losers we are. The first time I saw Jack McCarthy was at the Mirabur Room on Lower Queen Anne. The music was loud, the room was palpable, full of swagger, ego, booze, and sex. And there was old Jack, sitting at a small round table by himself, just him and a tape and a candle flickering. He looked like he was a shipwrecked survivor, stranded on a desert island by a campfire by himself, isolated. He looked like he was waiting. My first thought is far past his bedtime. I had never seen an old man out that late and thought, he must have strayed from the nursing home. (laughs) When he took the stage, there was much more to him than his age. The room fell silent like a lake at night reflecting the the moon. I could feel history and a sense I was witnessing it. I was nervous as he took the stage, scared he might fall over or fall asleep standing up. But then, (laughs) this was from his roast, but then he spoke. The room straightened their back, ears perked like butterfly nets, ready to catch his metaphors and life lessons. His age, class, race disappeared. It was like watching the movie Cocoon. He told a story of an eagle and a long car ride he took with his young daughter. He moved with grace and without arthritis pain. He looked free, arms spread out like an eagle. I knew he was meant for this. And when he was done, the room was thick. The story hung like a heavy curtain. He bowed like a Buddha and walked off stage. Jack McCarthy saw me when I first got on the mic, won my first slam, fell in love, earned my battle scars of a rookie poet, when ego takes over, and when I could no longer drink and poet. He saw me with two days of sobriety, shaky and detoxing and losing everything. He met me at a Starbucks in Arlington, told me about how drunks are like shipwreck survivors and how those that came before him picked him off the shore, dried him off, bought him a brought him to the campfire to warm him, gave him a cup of coffee, and they spoke of their survival, the wreck of a new way of living, and now he waits for the foghorn, 
the sound of drowning men. He picks them off the shore, dries them off, reassuring them with a cup of coffee to hear the newcomer say, Man, you will never believe what just happened to me. He laughs in understanding and showing the shipwreck survivors to the circle of friends. He sees the whites on the page, the breath of experience. He taught me how to live with vodka off of my tongue and in my poetry. And I'm still a little shaky. Rusty, yes. I remember the old timers at the campfire where there is no performance, no written poem, but a message out of a bottle, an oral translation that we take turns sharing with a cup of coffee. He showed me that he has seen, and I see what he speaks of. And there is no mistake I found him at that table, sitting by candlelight, like a stranded shipwreck survivor, waiting, waiting, till I saw him. Thank you. Oh. Oh, oh, knocking shit over. <clears throat> um, okay. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Jack has a book called Drunks, Drunks and Other Poems, and, uh, you can get it on rightbloody.com and also off of his, uh, his website as well. You can order it from Kathleen, his daughter. And he has this poem in there called This Story. And, uh, and my next poem was kind of written off of the stories that he used to tell me. Loneliness. Yeah. It used to sit in the bottom of my back like a dull ache. It had been there for 30 years. No, I can't recall the feeling when I was an infant, but I am sure it's what woke me and my parents up in the middle of the night. Even with my mother swaddling me and rocking me, making ocean sounds in my ear, I would wail like a polar bear caught in a bear trap. It didn't help my backache. I don't think she knew what would. She called me a fussy baby, a wild child, had hoped that once I started to talk, I would stop running. My parents always said I had a fear of missing out on something. It wasn't in fear. It was in hope that if I surrounded myself with more people, more engagements, it would be the cure to this aching. Fear came later. I try to find comfort in stillness, try to cure loneliness with isolation, because when I hear laughter, it just reminds me of how much this back used to ache. These fleeting moments of giggles will vanish like holiday seasons, and I'm left with mundane days to feel in between. How is it possible to live among six billion people and feel the wind blow through you? I love yous and lavish compliments bounced off my heart like bulletproof glass guarantees that never stick, never got through. See, I felt different from the first time I opened my eyes. I often wondered, is it possible to be born dead? No, I mean, is it possible to have the organs running without a driver? See, this is how I felt before I picked up a drink. My mother said I picked up her scotch glass without her looking, down the whole shot, wiped my baby mouth without a twinge of a sting, held out my glass and said, more. More has been my motivator. Fucking just hurts now. See, I fucked my way out of feeling ugly. It just left me distorted, angled, guilty. But I want it gentle now. Gentle, like my grandmother holding my head in her hands to memorize my face, just so she can dream of my short eyelashes See, I want to sleep with someone like that. 
I want to be memorized. Wake them in the morning, test them. What color are my eyes? I want them to answer in a second without telling me brown. Tell me, there's a green speck in the center of your cornea that gets brighter when you cry. It used to get brighter every day. And trust me when I say I have had doctors, so many goddamn doctors diagnosed me through windstorms of prescriptions, told me, Jody, get out of bed and get social. So I crawled out of my bed coffin and I went to social places with medicine on the back wall, shots of tequila, double vodka and soda would cure the aching while I stood in high heels feeling claustrophobic in open spaces. It felt like saran wrap, tightly wrapped around my mouth with my hands cemented in pavements with spiders making nests in my hair with my friends trying to talk to me about the weather, wishing I didn't feel the wind blow through me, that the laughter they had would roll down my throat and keep my eyes from always landing on the ground. And yeah, man, I still don't know what to do with these hands. See, I'm no longer reaching up to shot glasses. I'm reaching up to God for relief, my daily reprieve, having conversations with the sunsets, asking it to rise in my blood and give me strength because these days is not about the drink. It's about finding recovery over malady and how to deal with these fucking feelings, staying still long enough to give this back relief. Thank you. Um, so this next poet, I don't know what I want to do. I, you really inspired me. Um, the sibling poem, right? Yeah, it's really tough to write a sibling poem, especially when you hate them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I love them. I just want to make sure. You guys doing okay? Yeah. Yeah, you guys are really awesome listeners. Thank you. I feel your breath on my hands before you open the front door. Before you turn our streets, before you park your car, before the emergency brake wrenches in an upright position. I know you're there. My fingertips are numb with the cold shoulder you bring in the house. I know what you will not say. I can only hear your eyes squeak when you blink. We haven't said much to each other in years, yet said so much in silence. My sandy hair friend is gone, long gone. You took him away, you swallowed him. I can't remember the last thing he said to me before you, puffed-up ex-marine boy, came along, the man, the big, tough, strong man that eats fingernails for snacks, violent and distance and stiff from not talking. See, Sandy Hair Boy talked to me. He understood my baby gibberish before anyone else did. Sandy Hair Boy looked like a squirrel, harvesting overgrown teeth, stretching small baby mouth. He was all pink gums, birthing new smiles. Hair bleached from the sun, chlorine swimming pool, our blood. My friend, he taught me how to walk on the moon in socks on linoleum floors and smash air guitars on coffee tables. MTV was our CNN. He cut my long hair to look like Pat Benatar, stuffed it in a toilet, clogged it, told me to sing to him, and I did. When we were young, we rolled with... Co- 
The wind beneath us. We had wings, stretched out Oklahoma plains, white sneakers red with the Indian dirt stinking of fresh air. Our skin, the scorched passion fruit color, peeling skin flapping in the wind. I remember how it stung and how it hurt when we crashed our bikes. Lobster skin grated off baby kneecaps. He taught me how to catch my tears with my tongue and kept me from going to the house for a band-aid knowing mom would demand I put on a shirt. My chest welling up to say I'm different, but... I was no different then. It was the only time not knowing my gender and where we belonged to someone, tailing behind little legs trying to keep up with his longer-by-the-day airplane propellers, bike bobbing and weaving and heaving from side to side to gain momentum to fly. We never thought about that day we would put our bikes in garage sales and worry about money, more than an adult to come to the pool or ever believe that the annoying pictures taken then be stuffed in shoeboxes where we go to find ourselves. But it was at night when the street lamps with a giraffe neck walked us home and warned us of the night, especially in our house. And I would cuddle under his swimmer's arm that warmed me from the sounds of wolves scavenging our parents. We played games with that howling, gave points to who outsmarted the other. We learned new words and taught them to our friends. See, Cunt was my favorite, and his motherfucker. We rode our bikes, swishing the new words like mouthwash, practicing the consonants, cracking them like pistachios and teeth. The louder we said it, the faster our legs would pedal. Hurry up, motherfucker! We're behind you, cut! And we thought it funny. And we thought it funny until we got grounded. Mom would separate us. You to your room and you to yours. And he would call to me through the heater vent to see if I was okay. Imitate Dark Vader to make me laugh. <laughs> we became Jedis, whispering through our homemade walkie-talkie till Mom, sick of the sound, sent us back outside. Giggles fell out of our mouths like heavy potatoes rolling down heels and on rainy days. Oh, on rainy days, we built a house out of bed sheets held down by my Barbie house and his G.I. Joe tank. Wrote each other's life story by flashlight. He was going to be an astronaut. And I don't think we ever figured out what I was going to be. I think maybe the guy in Houston that talks through floor vents. <laughs> and I do find myself doing that these days. I'm trying to talk to Sandy Hairboy. Try to figure out where he went. See, I picture him on the moon making moon pies, digging it up to tell me that he just found the biggest tree with the longest vine as he's trying to swing back home. Jamie, do you remember how burned we were from playing in the sun all day? We sat lathered in aloe watching Fraggle Rock in our tiny handmade rocking chairs. Face burning and inside cold from eating ice pops. Bottom teeth scraping across plastic like an iron. How could you forget? What did you do to him, Marine Boy? Did you drown him in a bar tab? See, my sandy hair boy was a good swimmer. You couldn't have drowned him out. He could hold his breath like a whale. Let's go ahead, Marine Boy. Forget him. Stuff him in attics and shoe boxes. Cover your heater vent to make room for distance. But he, my sandy hair boy, He's whispering to me from the moon. Thank you.
we doing on time? We're doing okay, Robert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I want to do a creepy poem for you guys. Can I do creepy? This is like, well, I write a lot of dark shit, but <laughs> this is my first creepy poem. So I was kind of playing with dialogue and time and pacing and space within my words. Uh, so this is called Remember. There's a ghost in my house. He wanders through my halls. I try to talk him home, tell him, go home. You can't stay here. Your body is getting cold. He says you left. I replied, you were gone. You kept leaving your body and wouldn't hold me in the night. He says I'm cold. I say, I know. That's why I left. You're warm, he says. In your head, I feel so warm. I tell him to go. Leave. You can't stay here. I left because you were haunted. Now go. Remember the time I was... Remember the time you're coming home from work and I was standing on the balcony waiting for you? Stop. Remember the time I held you while you cried because you said you felt love for the first time? Stop. Remember when I whispered in your ear, you're everything I ever wanted and I thought you were asleep? You heard me, didn't you? Stop. I remember the time we went to the store and you kept talking about her. Do you remember I said I felt like I was losing you to a ghost? Do you remember I tried to kiss you and you flinched? Do you remember you said you missed your old life and all that you lost? Do you remember you stopped taking me out, never introduced me to your friends? Do you remember? Because I was a stand-in dishwasher, a shadow, a filler... I was just a warm body. There is a ghost in my house. He wanders through my halls. I try to talk him home, tell him, go home. You cannot stay here. Your body is getting cold. He says you left. I replied, you were gone. You kept leaving your body and wouldn't hold me in the night. He says I'm cold. I say, I know. That's why I left. You're warm, he says. In your head, I feel so warm. I tell him to go. Leave. You can't stay here. I left because you were haunted. Now go. <laughs> Remember how I used to write love notes on the bathroom mirror for you every morning? Stop. Remember how I left those red roses for you in the shower? Stop. Remember how you used to tickle my back till I fell asleep every night? You said you loved my soft skin. Stop. Stop. Remember. I must remember. I was a standard dishwasher, a shadow, a filler. I was just a warm body. And there is a ghost in my house. He wanders through my halls. I try to talk him home, tell him, go home. You can't stay here. Your body is getting cold. Thank you.
That's okay. He's he's okay with it. He's flexible like that. <laughs> All right, peace out. Judy Knowles, ladies and gentlemen, give her a hand. Thank <laughs> you.